is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome to Star Trek from the Holodeck, the Discovery Edition. I am Michael Flores, your host, and Tony, not Tony, David. Uh, I was about to say, you know, I don't think Tony would ever understand Star Trek. Don't even know your name. <laughs> we blend in together. <laughs> Filipinos look alike, right? No, no, no. Tony's my Tony's my counterpart from the Mirror Universe. Oh, he kind of is. He is the evil version of <laughs> he you. He is. Actually, holy crap. Yeah, you're right. I would agree with that assessment. Fair enough. All right, so today we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery, Season 1, Episode 15, the season finale, David. The title, Will You Take My Hand, directed by Kiva Goldsman. The first season, Dave, has come and gone, forever remembered in television history. The first Star Trek series in over 10 years has finished its inaugural season. Klingons, Mirror Universe, Terran Empire, Fungus, Tilly's hair, all of it. <laughs> that's that's the most important part tilly tilly's hair all right so the federation won the war and it would appear the klingons will begin to unite the houses moving forward the final episode of the season brought the heat in both suspense and sexuality the orion syndicate <laughs> uh, there was more there was more uh Connections with the syndicate than we thought. Yes. Thank you, Star Trek writers, for bringing the pulpy sex back at the last minute. <laughs> I know. Just randomly. Hey, guys, Ooh. you didn't think we we're going to have a, an over sexed up scene? Fooled ya. Here Fooled it is. Ya. <laughs> I mean, to this day, the Tashi Yar and Data in the first season when they made love, it, it, like, it destroyed me as a kid. I was like, that is weird, but I like it. Robot <laughs> sex with Robot. a human. <laughs> I have many, many I, ways of doing this. My penis can't compute. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that scene still has, is one of the most classic scenes of Next Generation. Well, dude, Tash Yar was hot as hell in that scene, too. And Data was so awkward. <laughs> he was Much like many of us virgins at that time in our life. Exactly. What, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? Uh, I, I'm just going to lie here. She's going to do all the work. Yeah, he's this is a dream come true. Yeah, I mean, doc, can someone address Doctor Soon's like just disgustingness to begin with? Like, why would he create an android with a dick, like a fully functional <laughs> dick? Can we do an entire Star Trek show on that, please? <laughs> <laughs> I I did enjoy that part though. Uh, George Al getting after it. She's more hot blooded than any dude on that ship. I'll give her that. Oh yeah, like the rest of those Starfleet individuals are all like stuffy with their sh- shirts way too tight at least george Ow knows how to party yeah taryn george Ow has actually re- turned into really a, a, a really interesting character yeah i uh can get behind that for sure now getting back on track dave the writers use the last 45 to 50 minutes or so wisely 
and they managed to wrap things up and give us an idea of what's coming up next. For example, the we Enterprise, think, we think, and we Pike, think. which means possibly Spock. Little question mark there. I'm not saying I'm I'm an advocate for Spock. We don't need to see Spock in Discovery. We don't even need to see the Enterprise per se. A little mention here and there, like they've done throughout this season. So I like those. I don't think we needed to see the Enterprise. However, what a way to end the the fucking season, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I was excited because I was a little disappointed with the with the overall finale. It felt kind of like it fell flat. It, it fell flat. But it fell a little flat. It fell flat, and then they flicked my dick really hard by showing me the Enterprise. <laughs> the, at the Enterprise, end. and dude, the way they designed the Enterprise fit what Discovery's universe is like. Did you notice that? Like the Enterprise, <clears throat> the Enterprise is, suppo- is supposed David, to. David, do I need to get you a cough button? Apparently, uh, you are just. Unprofessional today is one of those days. days. Listen, we could talk about dicks and titties, but no coughing, please. It's very, very unprofessional. But like uh, the the Enterprise when they showed it looked completely different than what we were what normally we we think of the Enterprise. It looked more streamlined. It looked like it was supposed to match the Discovery Show. I have not had any time yet. However, let's do this. Um, I want to do one show a month for Discovery just to kind of keep people, you know. Keep their appetites wanting more until we wait until we while we're waiting for the second season. Why don't we do a comparison? Let's um, blow up the still of uh, the Enterprise and kind of compare the architecture and design to the different Enterprises that we've seen throughout the years. And when I mean Enterprises, I mean that specific one, NCC 1701. Yep. And see how much has changed throughout the years, even when we if we want to compare it to, say, the the movies. Because I'm looking at it, I'm, the, look- I'm talking about the J.J. Abrams movies. Yeah, I'm looking at the the ship right now. The still that th- is out there, it's basically been plastered everywhere, and everyone under the sun is taking a look at it. It looks, it still looks like the Enterprise. However, there's a little different changes to it. There's, is that a Star Trek nerd in you doing that? Like, oh, there's a slight uh, if you look at the is. lower part of the port cell, I was about to say, uh, yeah. There, there is a little indentation that wasn't there in the original 1966 version and also if you look at even the Kelvin timeline before the actual split, it didn't really work. I don't like the way it looks. They messed up and also there's way too many windows. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a nerd, Dave. I was, I was about to go there. I was about to go there. I know. Go ahead. Go ahead. But yeah, I mean, like, taking a look at the, if you take a look at the, the, the still that's out there right now about it, it looks completely different. Yeah. Like, it's almost like a cross between Next Generation and the uh, original TV series. Yeah. I'm okay with little differences like that. Again, Dave, what have I always said? When it comes to canon... I'm a little lenient because Star Trek has been going on for 15 years. Uh, the aesthetics and production design, the overall production design, just it's hard to keep all of it consistent over 50 years. Over 50 years, yeah. But when it comes to story, I'm not lenient. I'm very strict about there's no reason to m- mess up canon by way of your writing. Yeah. But when it comes to things like that, it, I mean, it comes with the territory as we've said before, Discovery isn't the only series that's kind of taken liberties with certain things. So let's move back to, let's move on, I should say, to a little bit of news, Dave. 
And this news, of course, is pertaining to the reemergence of the Enterprise because that last scene has taken over the Internet in a big way. Uh, Variety has actually ran an article this morning that says how the original Star Trek theme landed in the Discovery's finale. According to Jeff Russo, the composer, it just seemed like the right thing to do. And I would agree because it felt right. You when we saw the Enterprise, we needed to hear the classic Star Trek song, and then the way they just faded out, the, they faded out, and then they pumped up the music, and then roll credits. I felt all of it worked really well to really drive home the point. Yeah. Now, the season finale cliffhanger of Star Trek Discovery, I would, would you call that a season finale, like cliffhanger? I, I, don't, I don't consider it a cliffhanger. Yeah. Because as, as, as we both said, they, they re- the story was wrapped. The wrapped. The story was wrapped up. If the story for season one was not wrapped, then I'd say it's a cliffhanger. That was just kind of a... But you could say it was a nerd cliffhanger because now everyone's like anticipating next season. Oh, we're going to see the Enterprise now. Yeah. So season finale cliffhanger Star Trek Discovery, which aired Sunday, uh, contained a startling revelation. The first sight of the USS Enterprise and a reference to Captain Pike. That isn't the first reference, though. We did have one way back, I believe, in episode four or five as well. Uh, the immediate pre predecessor of the more famous Captain James T. Kirk of the original series. Uh, What's more, it was accompanied by the right music. Alexander Courage's original Star Trek fanfare, followed by a stunning new recording of Courage's theme for the 1966 through 1969 series, wedding audience appetites for more of the Enterprise in season two of Discovery. The composer says it just seemed like the right thing to do, says the composer, uh, of invoking the famous eight-note Trek fanfare, which he also exerts excerpts in his own Discovery series theme. It is the Enterprise, so I must play the Enterprise's theme. But that was also my problem with the Discovery theme. Do you remember I said that? I said, is it appropriate? Even though I love the Discovery theme, I, I, I posed the question. I was playing devil's advocate. Is it okay to play the classic Enterprise theme within the Discovery theme? And you said it was okay. Yes. Do you still stand by that? I still stand by that. Okay. I still stand by that. I love the Discovery theme because it's it, it was very different, but you need that nod just to uh, just to tell people this is a Star Trek film or this is a Star Trek show. Right. Or this is something. Well, of Star Vo- Trek. Voyager and D Space Nine didn't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, because like mm-hmm. by that time, D Space mm-hmm. Nine and Voyager could stand on their own. They weren't sure if Discovery could stand on its own. So, because it's been so long. Right. So, that's why I figured they could take the liberty like this by actually saying, okay, we're going to take, we're going to make sure to show people that this is still Star Trek. And also, it kind of fits, kind of going with the, it helps, I don't know, it helps transition with the timeline, just to help the fans know where does this belong. Yeah. So, Discovery belongs here, but we're going to be getting into Star Trek enterprise and that's the enterprise's theme but that discovery came first chronologically okay well moving on to this next article that we have here pertaining to the enterprise's appearance at the end of the finale according to comicbook.com star trek discovery's creator explains the enterprise's role in season two and this will help a little bit with speculation that we're going to do towards the end of today's show as well dave Um, But last night's season finale episode of Star Trek Discovery, Will You Take My Hand, featured the unexpected arrival of the Enterprise NCC-1701 with a sleek new look. 
Yeah, the port in a cell was slightly different. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's Star Trek fans, dude. You Star Trek. Just, listen, I'm a Star Trek fan. The biggest there is probably, but I don't. I just don't nitpick stuff like that. I nitpick writing. I nitpick <laughs> but Star writing. Trek fans are infamous for it. There's Star. Only Star Trek know, fans are infamous for pulling out the schematics of a ship. Oh, here's my blueprint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll pull. Uh, they'll pull out a blueprint out of nowhere and say, "This is the blueprint of the Klingon starship." Uh, all right. So Star Trek Discovery co-creator and executive producer Alex Kurtzman spoke to Variety to clarify the Enterprise's role in the coming season. He made it clear that even with the Enterprise's presence, this is still a show about the Discovery and its crew. And that's what it needs to maintain. They need to maintain that throughout the writing process for season two. They need to put all the focus on the Discovery crew because the show is Star Trek Discovery. Obviously, because the way they ended season two, the Enterprise is going to have some bigger part of the overall story. But I don't want the writers getting lost in nostalgia. And so far, I don't think they've done that. I think they've done a good job steering away from nostalgia. Because nostalgia is fun and great, but nostalgia also makes huge pitfalls for writing. Yes. And you don't want you don't want to do that. You don't want to been there. You don't want to have that idea of been there, done that. And unfortunately, in this day and age of member berries, that, that's what we get a lot in a lot of things is those nostalgia moments that kind of ruin and scar your writing. And, and we just don't want that. Uh, if they do bring the Enterprise in like they may do, then it needs to be something very different. And it needs to be solely as a supportive measure for the Discovery crew and their story. Now, here's the thing, though. Um, the one thing that I was thinking about after I saw this was like. Ever since they started Discovery, the whole game plan originally, I don't know if that's changed now with Fuller gone, but like the original game plan was the one season was going to focus on a different ship. Every season that they do of Discovery was that changed. Did it though? Yes. That's why Fuller left because he, dude, if CBS were to allow their relationship with Fuller to go awry this badly to where he quits the series and then they suddenly decide to use his ideas that's fucking bullshit and i think that's room for a lawsuit as well (laughs) i mean brian fuller in star trek left parted ways because fuller was adamant with one and done seasons he wanted anthology seasons yeah one season's about this ship one season might be about a spaceport. One show, season may be about a planet dealing with the Federation. Everything obviously is going to deal with Starfleet and the Federation, but that's what he wanted to do moving forward. So I don't see them changing that now and focusing on the Enterprise crew. That's what I was thinking. Was like, and honestly, I don't want it. Now that we've gotten this discovery and we've kind of made our peace with it, that this is our new series. I feel like it would be silly for them to go back and do an anthology. At this It'd be point. a shame because especially since there's so much they could do with that, that ship. Well, they, I'm not saying they can't I, even the creator here. He says, um, let's see, where does he, he goes on to say that, um, hold on. Where did this story go? David, he says the show is called discovery. It's not enterprise. Uh, so yes, the enterprise will play a part of season two, but it will absolutely not over, overshadow discovery and he says, I think with the Enterprise's arrival at the finale, we recognize that the audience has a lot of questions. A lot of questions pertain to the original series, which really means with canon. Uh, the promise of the Enterprise holds the answers to a lot of those questions, including Spock's relationship with his half-sister, who's never mentioned. 
which does not necessarily mean you're going to see Spock, just that we owe an answer to that question. So it seems, based on these words from Kurtzman, that the Enterprise will be there more or less to aid with canon and to kind of settle some of the waters. Because I know people have questions as to where the Enterprise is at. Why didn't the Enterprise pop up more often? Where's Pike? Where's Spock? Honestly, the galaxy is huge. The galaxy is huge. I personally, as a Star Trek fan, don't need to know these things. You've mentioned it. They had that nice, clever way of putting that Easter egg in with um, when Saru was looking into uh, looking for insight into the best captains of Starfleet. Yeah. And you had Giorgio, you had Pike and you had um, the other one that was before Christopher. Some, no, not Christopher. April. April. Captain April. Captain April. You had those little Easter eggs there that helped fans who would have those questions the fans who are in the know, it helped them kind of come to terms with, okay, so they exist, they're here. But I don't think we need to overstate, hey, by the way, here's the Enterprise, let's fly it in, guys. Here's a, here's Pike and here's Spock, and this is how everything works. Unfortunately, I get that's how a lot of fans are, so I get why they're doing it, but I hope they don't rely on that too much. And, and take if, away from the story. Yeah, I don't, I don't want distraction, you know, don't worry about the fans. Tell a good story. Tell a good story. Tell a good story, and the fans are going to be happy. Especially Don't- since the story of Burnham so far has been really, really good. I mean, I'll be honest. I wasn't too sure about this character, but the fact that they've introduced this character who isn't a captain, so she she's definitely different from all the major characters of all the Star Trek uh, series we've seen so far. She's not a captain, but they made her really interesting with the with the uh storyline that she's uh a being of two different worlds and you know she's the one that basically Sarek chose you could say she chose Sarek chose over Spock that started the whole rift between Sarek and Spock that whole thing is really really interesting and I hope that they they don't take away from it that's what I was worried about with the season finale was like going okay, I know they're going to wrap things up, but there's so much left to tell about where is Burnham or where where is she going to go? I I don't, I agree, but disagree. I I don't think you need to overanalyze every aspect of, of a story. I feel like Burnham's story was, was fully, fully explored, fully explored, not saying there isn't more to explore, but I think based on what we were introduced to at the beginning, and how they ended it, I feel like that chapter in her life is concluded. Is, is concluded, yeah. Moving forward, yes, I think there will be questions, and the idea of bringing Spock in, or the questions of Spock, I think those are questions that should be answered eventually, but I also don't want to feel like it's contrived, like the writers are justifying. Yeah. When writers start justifying their work in their work, eh, that gets into a very shitty area of exactly writing. and that that's why i said is like I'm, I'm trying to think about next season where are they going to take burnham then where where can you do, go because just like what you said her story was concluded straight to ash's bedroom oh well we can't not now because remember ash went went off with laurel for some strange reason no not strange reason he was into that freaky sex he's all sorry burnham <laughs> 
All right, we need to go to a very quick break, and when we get back, we're going to jump into the rest of our discussion and break down the entire season finale. We'll be right back. Pray havoc, and let's slip the dogs of war. Everything! The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. You ever made your junk? And I don't. I don't want someone judging me like that way. For all I know, you other know people are thinking that did. way. Yeah. Oh man, I can see this guy's penis, or I can't see his penis from my peripheral vision. You think way you too were, much about this. You were I'm a thinker. I'm a thinker. <laughs> That's what you're so you're like it. saying, "Don't judge me. Let me look at your penis." Yeah. <laughs> You know, Einstein thought about the stars and how to solve problems and scientific equations. He thought about a dude's dick and it trunks out. Right. You're the Einstein of dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain amount of geometry, right, to, you know, peripheral vision of seeing the cock. There has to be. Oh, no, I, I challenge you. you. I imagine you with this, like, Sherlock mind palace, imagining <laughs> the shape of it. And the, there's, like, numbers going around for circumference and length. He probably, like, he know, he clearly noticed you looking at his dick, right? So No, because I was, no, shield. no, a shield. Is that what shield you do? Shield with a like, little dick house with yeah. your hands. A yeah. little dick so house So people can't with see you. What? For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. Open Sesame! Crossing over to other past things in Star Trek. Yeah. What if the Kelvin timeline passed through the original uh, Star Trek like the Mirror Universe? Right. Or the Mirror Universe crosses over into the Kelvin timeline. I mean, another possibility, Dave, is for very, for reasons like this, more stories that can be told. Um, I think Star Trek, with all of the TV shows that already messed up its own continuity, stuff that is canon was just forgotten. Yes. Like the Klingon head uh, star dates was a huge thing that they just changed whenever they wanted from movies to the original series to next generation D space nine Voyager. They weren't even consistent. So there's a lot of issues that was created over the past 50 years of Star Trek. And much like Star Wars had to do. Yes, I said the 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 horrible word to all you Star Trek fans. But even what Star Wars did in retrospect, you know, it was a good thing what they did. Star Trek from the holodeck exclusively on Rain Man Digital. Go to RainmanDigitalMedia.com or Patreon.com slash RainmanDigital. End simulation. Alright, so you can now get more Star Trek from the holodeck discussions each and every month delivered to your ear holes. Head over to Patreon.com slash RainmanDigital and pledge $5 or more a month to gain access to our additional Star Trek discussions. Don't let the Discovery offseason put you into Star Trek Blues. Listen to us talk about additional Star Trek iterations. Let us be your conworms. Yes, thank you. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it? Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. 
And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code DEAL30 at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code DEAL30. That's D-E-A-L-30 at adamandeve.com. in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. That's how you feel when you cough at the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so it's time to get into this episode here. Season finale of Star Trek Discovery, season one, episode 15. Will You Take My Hand? Directed by Kiva Goldsmith. Let this music set in just a bit. All right, that's enough of that nonsense. (laughs) All right. So the first season of Star Trek Discovery is officially over. It seemed to seem to go really fast. I hope the show gets an episode order bump next year. I I think that was because of the, 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 the format, because of the streaming service. I mean, do you ever notice that like... For streaming sh- uh, shows, they seem to go really quickly. I don't know. I, I know that the new trend is to have a lot shorter orders. I mean, back in the day, you'd have 27 to 34 episodes. Four episodes, yeah. You know, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. And with the advent of streaming services and also higher production value shows like HBO and Cinemax are churning out and Stars and Showtime, you're getting a lot shorter episode runs. Like you're getting like 10, 12, yeah, that seems even to, down to six. Yeah, that seems about about the average. In fact, BBC, that's what they do. They do about six. Sometimes they do three. Yeah, that's true. Three episodes. So it is, it is a trend that is changing the landscape of television distribution and how episodes are released. I'm not against it. I'm not. And it just depends on the show. If the show can tell a full story for... You know, for the first two or three seasons and it's done correctly with seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve episodes, then so be it. If the story feels complete, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I think that's what we've always been saying up to this point when it comes to any of the the TV series that me and you have reviewed is kind of like as long as the story is cohesive and they follow a really interesting path and keep us engaged, I don't think the length can hurt you. But right. The, you the, girth, are right. the girth might hurt you, though. Just a bit. <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> like that childish joke. <laughs> so getting back to the episode count, Dave, I feel like the show could benefit from more episodes, in my opinion. Discovery um, with a show that is as serialized as this one, which is my preferred format. It does leave some wanting more Trek-esque episodes. And that's why I say this up ep- this Joe could benefit from bumping its episode order a bit more. I know like standalone episodes you're talking about. Right. And if you look at the history of, of Star Trek television, how it's released, typically they do have a first season that's shorter episodes. Deep space nine, I believe had, had 19. I think Voyager had 16. Actually, no, I think Voyager had 15. 
It just depends on when they were released. If they were released in the second half of the TV season, you know, spring, chances are they had a, a lower episode count opposed to if they were released in the fall, around September, August, October months. That being said, Dave, I feel like, personally, I I don't feel like it's needed per se, but it could help bring in some stragglers who've been on the fence with Star Trek Discovery. Imagine being able to tell your story in 15 episodes, right? A very serialized story. Yes. But what if you bumped up your episode count to, say, 20? Now you break up the myth arc episodes with some standalone moments that aren't. And when I say standalone, I don't mean they're completely standalone, but something that maybe focuses on something a little different than the main myth arc. You have a, you have an episode a episode that may be Saru eccentric and dealing with the Kelpians a bit, uh, kind of like what we saw with the planet, with the trees and the, the life forms that communicated. Then uh, I forgot what the name of the episode was. I think it was episode four, episode five. It's interesting. It's interesting. Is that the episode? Yeah, yeah. That is the episode. It's interesting that you bring this up because I actually had this a similar conversation with uh, my girlfriend who I've gotten her to start watching the original Star Trek oh. with me. And I'm like going, she started noticing that we've been watching Discovery and, uh, and everything. And basically we noticed, she started noticing that a lot of times in Star Trek, there's episodes that just stand alone. You you don't have to read any more into it. But nowadays with other series that are out there, it's kind of like, okay, I need to watch episode one through episode eight or 12 right. just to get the full story. And, and you know what? And I'm fine with that. Cause that's the nature of television. We've since what? 2004, 2005, it's yeah. been a slow process. Change. It's been a slow evolutionary process in television where more and more TV shows are adapting the serialized format of storytelling. And I feel like it, it, it does a lot more for grabbing those returning audiences. Like when you have someone watch an episode, they're drawn into the entire season because they need to know what comes next. That's the benefit of serialized television. television. If you're dealing with the one-offs, you can miss two or three episodes. You're like, oh, well, I'll just tune in in a couple months. It's okay that I, I went on vacation. I don't need to catch up. So I understand the desire for television shows to move to serialized storytelling. Not Not only is it just better for business, but it's also, in my opinion, better for telling more intimate stories. All I'm saying is that I feel like Star Trek Discovery could, because of the nature of Star Trek, if it was any other TV show, I would say, forget the forget the one-offs. But look at what they're doing with X-Files. X-Files this year has returned again with an episode order bump. They went from six to ten episodes for the returned seasons. Yes. And they're not focusing just on myth arc. They're focusing on the standalone episodes as well. The myth arc is the beginning and the end. It keeps everything consistent, your book ending. But then in between, you're having your your standalones. And I feel like Star Trek Discovery can do a similar thing. If you had 15 episodes and you bumped it up to 20 and gave us five episodes that were more uh, standalone eccentric, I feel like you would pacify some of those fans who who may point to Discovery and say, oh, this doesn't feel like Star Trek. This isn't Star Trek, yada, yada, yada. I think it might help calm those waters. And this is where writing for your audience can work to the benefit of a show. I know I said before our break, I said you can't write based on what fans want. You have to just write your show. This is something that they can take 
not as a grain of salt, but as a way to kind of focus their story a bit and maybe space out a bit of the narrative as well, where where some of us may have had issues where some of the from episode to episode, you're like, wow, that's really fast. They've managed to change yeah. the emotions change really fast. You know, Stamets is sad at one point, then he's OK at the next. You know, Burnham is is devastated and, and not on the next. And again, that's television. I think a lot of us kind of swallow that and, and we take it for what it is. However, let's. You can if you can potentially um, if you can potentially fix some of those issues, why not do it with some standalone episodes? Right. No, you're you bring up a really valid point because it's kind of like it'll, it helps. It helps transition your audience and basically make your audience kind of take a step back. And I always use the term giving giving the audience a time to breathe. Right. And this uh, this whole season, it almost felt like. There were there there were times when you didn't have a chance to breathe. It's like okay, next time, what what's going to happen next time? What's going to happen next? Right, time? right. And because, it's because I agree. And you're because, like in that run. Yeah, I agree because even in the same episode, there would be resolve, and then within the last couple seconds, like the season finale, something new just got shoved up our rectum. Like oh, <laughs> oh there's no lube there. Yeah. <laughs> there's no lube there. So I totally get what you're saying. Again, it isn't a deal breaker for me, but yeah. I I get where they can kind of uh, smooth a few things out here and there for next season. I definitely feel like there is a writing argument to be made there. I yeah. mean, we will see, you know, other Star Trek shows have increased their episode order from the first season to the next. So, and I guess also to also to clarify your point too is kind of like it it is just like when you said you're not writing for the fans, you're writing for your audience. There is a difference. Because you if you're writing for your audience, you're keeping track of what your story is doing to that audience. You write for the fans, you're just writing for nostalgic sake. Right. And, you know, throwing a tribble everywhere that you can find. And <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't make sense. But if you if if you write for the audience to so that your audience is comfortable enough, they'll they'll fall in line. If you write for your fans, it's just gonna be a jumbled mess. Right. I agree. A little bit for the most part. All right, Dave. So they made the decision we knew would happen. Starfleet and the Federation would come to their senses at the last moment. They put their faith, however, inside the hands of what would seem to be the only Klingon left with any honor. Yes. Laurel, one of uh, Takuvma's loyal followers, was the one to end the war at the last moment. The Klingons, to me, Dave, were so interesting at the beginning that we went on about it during our first episode's discussion. If you remember, yes, the idea of a radical faction seems to be the best route to go due to the fact that we already know so much about the Klingons. Yes. We've never had a movie or TV show that really focused on the mythology of the Klingon religion or really delved into Klingons way of life day in day out deep space nine had a lot but it wasn't quite like we seen in the opening two episodes of discovery we haven't delved deep into the spiritual or religious aspects before but we understand for the most part what makes them Klingon, based on all of our star trek history the premiere suggested a belief system with a splintered like culture misfits of zealots. And I feel like that was a very strong way to introduce 
the Klingons in Discovery, the radicalized Klingons wanting purity and separation from inferior species seemed ripe for the picking. Yeah. It was such a unique approach to telling a story that included the Klingons and by delving into a faction of Klingons, like we had originally thought they were going to be doing, it would take away from any potential canon missteps. Do you remember us discussing that? Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 the Klingons for me have been so important to this. And it's one of those things that I'm a little disappointed in, in the finale that basically we just, for me, it was like almost like, okay, Laurel's going to fix it. Don't worry. And I'm like, going, wait, that's it. We, we've had this moment where basically just like what you said, we got introduced to this new way of looking at the Klingons as kind of like, a radical religion religious group that's bent on um xenophobia yeah and it's it, it was so interesting and then basically dealing with throwing in the whole story about tyler's battle with the fact that he he's a dual personality you have valk in there who is the right the the, the stereotype of someone who's so xenophobic but he has to share a body with someone that is alien. Yeah. I think there was a lot of potential. There's a lot. There was a lot for of the Klingons. There. Uh, they ended up becoming kind of like a simple hurdle though, to be thrown at the at Starfleet, something that would question their ideals. And honestly, it, I think my biggest problem with that is we've already been there. Questioning ideology is one thing, but how you do it is another. And I feel like the way they did it, how it, I think how they were working towards it was original. And then at the last moment, it just turned into something very basic. Yeah. You know, will they be just as brutal in order to win the war? That was the question they, they posed. And we, and I think most of us already knew they weren't. I feel like they should have. Yeah. I, you know, we talked about, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that because of my theory that I wanted to happen, you know, with the connection to the, the moon that was overmined and that would end up causing catastrophic ramifications for Kronos. Forget that theory for a moment. I feel like if they would have done that, if, if, a, if a faction of the Federation during their most desperate moment turned against their ideology and in, in, inevitably destroyed an entire culture... That would be something very dark. And I know there are probably a lot of Star Trek fans shaking their head at me saying, no, that's the worst thing. We don't want that. That's terrible. That's not what the Federation is. But this is the Federation at its knees. At its, at its lowest. And I understand the feel-good decisions. But I'm more about the catastrophic decisions. That's what, that's what makes great tragic stories yeah those are the ingredients of literature of shakespearean literature to to have a portion not all the federation but a portion of federation involved in the potential ramifications of an annihilation of a culture i think if they went about it a slightly different i think they could have gotten away with it i believe so too and i think it would have meant a lot more in the finale if something like that would have happened yeah because conflict builds better stories a story, a storytelling, unique conflict. You don't, you just can't have person A going to person, uh, going person A going to point B without any interruptions. Because right. then, what's the point? 
And, and I get the purpose for Burnham. It's about Burnham. And I, I feel like her being the one that goes up against it and and defies the the orders of the Federation, I think, I think is in sync with everything we know of Burnham. But it also shows how much she's grown over the past 15 episodes. And I think that's I, I, what really saved this, saved, saved it was the fact that the, the storytelling of Burnham at this point was the only, was the one thing that made that me was consistent. Happy. That was consistent. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, and I get the questions that were posed and it works for Star Trek. However, I feel like there was an overall missed opportunity with the Klingons getting it back was. on track here. Uh, in the finale as a whole, the Klingons were faceless uh, a whole race waiting for Laurel to unite them by threatening to suicide bomb the home world. I mean, that's how Laurel got power over the Klingons by doing exactly what the Federation didn't want to do. The, she then decides to unite the Klingons by threatening to blow up their home world. How, <laughs> yeah. how is that honorable? How is that honorable? <laughs> Laurel was painted to be the the last honorable Klingon, right? That was the whole point. Yeah. That she's the one. She's the last remaining zealot of Dakuvma's movement. And she just threw in with the rest of the individuals and decided that she's going to hold her planet hostage. It, it felt weird. It didn't feel right. I, I don't know. It, maybe it was just too simple. It, it felt to me, because again, being a writer myself, I've made terrible decisions. And sometimes you make decisions and you go back and rewrite it because you when you go back and do your your read through of your first draft, you're like, really, that's how I ended the show. That's how I ended my yeah. story. It, and when I go back and look at it in retrospect, I realize that the reason why I did that was because I wasn't sure how to end it. And, and I wasn't sure how to end it. So I made a, a rather simple decision that didn't feel right in the end. And when you look at what Laurel did. I feel like that was a simple way to end the Klingon war during the 15th episode of the season finale. Yeah. And also on top of that, the one thing that was kind of on my mind about the whole thing is why Laurel? Because at this point, the whole Klingon story was supposed to be centered around Vok, and it turned to Tyler and Vok, And suddenly Laurel is the one that basically is the, the, it's uh, she's a woman, the, the, she's the one that's supposed to be the, I guess you could say the hero of this story. But I was like going, we've been sold this bill of goods that basically the story was supposed to be centered around Vok. And at the end, what does Vok do? Vok doesn't really do much besides actually telling Cornwall about the, I guess the Intel on the planet, but that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, I suppose what they do with Laurel and Ash Tyler moving forward will probably determine how this all plays out. I mean, to be honest, that's that's an interesting duo and it's the a, possibilities are endless. The fact that they yeah. had Tyler um, and I didn't see that coming, that Tyler chose to go with the Klingons <laughs> yeah. over the Federation and to be with Laurel, not be with Laurel, but, you know, he's going to be with Laurel. <laughs> but that's not the what we that they set up. But. The fact that he chose to go with Laurel to help rebuild, essentially, re that's the idea I got. That they went to go rebuild the Klingon Empire and unite them. And the reason why I feel like that's the most interesting is, A, because Ash Tyler's Ash Tyler with Vox memory. Yes. And I like that aspect. And you mentioned that last week during our discussion, that there is so much you can do with that. The, philosoph the philosophical aspect alone, it can fill hundreds of pages of writing just for Tyler's character and the would-bes and should-bes that could happen in season two. And moving forward, 
if they stick to the idea that this ash is the reason why the Klingons look different in just uh, under 10 years, I understand that the Star Trek, Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Enterprise had also had their own fix of the flu of the Klingon appearance based on some type of flu and augment virus. Um, but we've also been told by the discovery writers that the Klingon appearance will also be explained. Yes. And we did not get that. Not in this season. So I'm assuming that they are still working. That's on the back burner for now. And and I'm okay with that. There has been a lot to kind of chew in the first season. So let us digest. Let us move into season two. And if they start want to, they have plenty of time to tackle that. They have plenty of time to tackle it. It, it is really interesting. I really would like them to actually see a more focus on Tyler and see, all right. It's not going to happen, Dave. We, we need to, we need th- those answers, especially since, you know, like what if, what if I, I just thought about it right now, what if, what if the Tyler thing leads to a, a small movement inside of the Klingons where they start doing these physical augments on willing Klingons that want to look like humans. And that's what, that's why you want me to be really negative. You know why it's not going to happen, Dave, because he's straight, not gay. He's not a woman. He's a man. He's not, he likes to be choked. (laughs) The focus of Star Trek discovery is on, on, on women, which is fine. Cause I I don't think we've had a series like that before where it's 100% focused on women. Look at all the, the figureheads. Giorgio, Burnham, Hilly, Laurel. The entire show is built upon the backs of female-driven characters. And that's okay with me because we've never had a series like that. However, don't start thinking they're going to do something with Ash because he doesn't fit into what they're trying to do with their, with their show. It'd be a shame if they did. They're not, Dave. <laughs> that's being negative. <laughs> that's being they're negative. just not going to do it. Look, <laughs> look what they did with Lorca, Dave. They did a really good job, though, with Lorca. They did, but look, look, where is he at now? <laughs> Destroyed into millions of pieces. <laughs> millions of pieces. <laughs> so stupid. I hate to burst your bubble, Dave, but we also got to be realistic. Uh, Star Trek Discovery won't, isn't going to change their course. Uh, all right. So Lieutenant Burnham has had her redemption. If anything, this season can be called that. It started with Burnham's mutiny and ended with her accepting her mistakes. And that was the best moment. I think yes. it's the wealth, the most well thought out aspect of the entire show. And it should be since it's the thread that keeps the entire show tight, right? That keeps everything connected. And it was Lieutenant Burnham's story. And it really was a story of redemption. And it's something that we don't see a lot in a Star Trek season. We've had movies about redemption. We've had story arcs about redemption within within each within subsequent seasons. Well, an actual season dedicated to the redemption of a character where we witness a terrible mistake they make. Or, in my opinion, I don't really consider it a mistake. It's all about context, right? I'm with Lorca. Context is king. Context is king. She made a mutinous decision, which is a poor decision when you're working within Starfleet. But she made a decision based on, on the logic of it all. And... I feel like that all played so well for the rest of the season to see her go, th- go and grow and learn is one of the highlights from this season. The first half was, was much stronger in that regard. And the second half was a bit ambiguous due to the nature I would say, and deception of Lorca and the mirror universe. Yes. Uh, but for her to be the one to choose peace over destruction uh, shows a sense of resolve. 
Yes. A calming of oneself, the areas of, of the psyche that was at a constant battle, the Vulcan logic and the human passion emotions found a way to work together. Cause that was really the, the, the spear, the tip of the spear, Dave, I think that really struck me with this story was the logic of a Vulcan mixed with the unbridled human passion and emotions. Yeah. The being of two worlds. Yeah. And I know we've had that with Spock, but Spock was already resolved to be Vulcan. I am Vulcan. He didn't really want to connect with his human side. He never really felt like he was human. At least that's my interpretation. He never struggled with the human emotion. It's something that we never really saw made manifest in the TVs or movies per se. I don't know about the, the, the side media, but I know the actual canon media, it's, it's never been a focus. No, it's never been a focus of, of it because we know Spock's resolve. So to see a, an individual who was at conflict internally between logic and, and passion, imagine having those types of, internal problems dave and now put yourself in a situation like burnham was in something very serious two conflicting ideologies i mean how do you come to terms with them and that's why it was so good that's why i love the pilot and how they set it up because it set it set a tone for things to come and things for us to expect and look forward to when it comes to Burnham and her growth throughout the season. Uh, Being of two worlds, as you said, always, it always paves the way for some great introspectives into human social behavior. And by definition, Dave, that's again, what Star Trek is about. It's about philosophy and human, the human condition, social behavior, uh, politics. So to see all those things come into play with Burnham. I feel like that was the strength of not only the season, but also the season finale as well. And and especially since with Star Trek, especially this whole season, it's not to actually say which side is right, which side is wrong, but it's always going to leave the audience questioning. What would you do? What would you do if you were put in that situation? And when they were telling Burnham's story, they did it perfectly to the point that, we felt like Burnham. We we uh, related to her in a way that basically allowed the whole audience, us as a whole, to actually put us in Burnham's shoes and say, what would you do in that position as a person? Okay? Because like we all know what Spock would do because Spock is Spock's are just like what you said. He's already a, a person who has made his mind up and said, no, I am a Vulcan. I live by logic. That's it. And Burnham at the very beginning was like that, but she also had that conflicting nature because she wasn't Vulcan. Yeah. She was, she was, she was a human being that basically was adopted by Sarek and put into a life of logic. Yeah. And moving forward, Burnham's got to be the focus still. I hope so. And that's how the show was sold, but that's how the first season was sold with Brian Fuller being in charge. So hopefully moving forward, they're going to stay with that because 
the most interesting part about Burnham was the damage, the complicated and broken character that she was. So what are they going to be doing moving forward? Exactly. What happens if she has some resolve now and she feels to, and she seems to be at peace with who she has become, then I'm curious as this, as to how the writers are going to figure it out for next year. What are they going to do to make Burnham that much more complicated and to draw in the audience immediately into this story about, about this character. That's why I was, that's why I was alluding to originally in the very beginning was like, kind of like, where do you take Burnham from this point? Just like what you said, we, we closed off the chapter of her life here. What's what, what is there that Burnham has to do is my first, my first thought process was, okay, is she going to try to become captain? Because she's a Lieutenant now. Right. Right. And I don't know, Dave. And that's, I've, I really don't know what they're going to do with your character because the draw was was her disaster. The fact that she was a disaster. She made a horrible decision. She mutinied against her captain, which has never been done in Star Trek. It created ripples amongst the fan base. People were upset. They were appalled. They were angry. That's what you call good writing. The writers purposely did something and turned what you know of Star Trek up on its head. Yeah. And then they spent a year this past season fixing it and and making it make sense through the course of a of a story that turned into a redemption story of sorts. So it did work. But now that she has been remedied her character and she's kind of at peace with who she is. How do we make her interesting? Because the most interesting elements in Star Trek and you and I were talking about this off air, Dave, are the rogue characters, the characters who are flawed and who have issues. And that's really the catch 22 with characters like this. Rogues will always steal the spotlight. So what are they going to do? Are they going to give her additional problems? Is she still going to struggle with the chain of command? Is the Vulcan logic still going to conflict with human emotion? I mean, it could. I'm not saying yeah. that in one season you can fix all of those those problems when it comes to your character traits. But how will they make it matter? And that's kind of an issue that I see happen with a lot of Star Trek um, throughout the years. And it was the problem with Enterprise, uh, the problem with rogues. We all like them and we want more of them. In many ways, these are the characters we're drawn to, even in literature, particularly the stories of Shakespeare. Uh, look at Lorca. Oh, yeah. One of the most interesting characters. Look at Tara and George O. They were the balance to Starfleet's boring ideology. That's why so many audiences are drawn to those type of characters, not just because they're rebels, but because they're not part of the collective thought. They're not part of group thinking. And they're not they, they are. They are individuals. Yes. And that's what makes them so so interesting. And that's why I was drawn to Burnham, because she wasn't part of the collective thought. She had her own ideas captain kirk yes he was a starfleet man but he also had his own ideals and what he thought was right and he was willing to break the rules if he felt like his own moral compass justified it same thing with picard look at his demons look at when picard okay picard became interesting when dave when he was assimilated by the borg yes that's when picard became an interesting character yes after that moment that's what defined Picard was for the, the next Borg. 10 years plus Yeah, was his run in with the Borg and having his individuality taken away from him. Yes. Look at Captain Kirk. When did he become not to say Captain Kirk wasn't just a rogue 
all the time. And I, I loved what they did with him in the original series. But, but when his personality took true root was in Star Trek two, the wrath of Khan. Yeah. You know, Spock died his best friend. Then his son was murdered in the following movie. It all led to his hate for the Klingons. That's what really defined Kirk. He defied orders to save mankind and to enact his revenge. That is why we like rogues. They are not a part of the group thought process. They're individuals. And moving forward, it just makes me wonder, how are they going to do that with Burnham again? How are they going to make her that character that's still part of Starfleet, doesn't become a mutineer, but also makes her that that non-stuffy character that's in love with the Federation's farts. Now, here was the thing. I I just thought about this, and they've they've covered this also in the book, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it was after I saw the finale, I kept thinking, where are they going to take Burnham with this? And the one thing, the one storyline that I thought of that they could possibly do is doing a dual, because she's the, the child of two worlds, right? We have Spock, uh, the Enterprise just showed up. Right. What if that's where we're going to take Burnham? Is it going to be, we're going to continue her, she's the child of two worlds, and now she has to deal with the conflict with her brother, who is true Vulcan. And we already know that basically both ran parallel to each other thanks to Sarek. Yes, that's an interesting aspect. And it was a great aspect in the prequel book. In the prequel book, yeah. But will they run... You have to be very careful, man. You have Spock, one of the most iconic characters in Star Trek. Who's young, though, at this point. I I know. Do they really want to bring Spock in as a supporting cast member to Burnham? You're on dangerous ground there. It's on dangerous ground, but I think it could be really interesting storytelling for Star Trek. It could be interesting, but I don't want it. No? I don't want it. This is about Burnham, and if we bring Spock in, I'm going to want Spock. Oh, Everybody's going to want there. Spock. It's, it's, it's like what happened with Lorca this year. And he wasn't even Spock. He wasn't even iconic. You're like, Lorca's cool. Lorca's cool. Wait a second. Lorca's a bad guy this whole time. And really? And he's dead? It's the Romeo and Juliet syndrome. What's Romeo's best friend's name? Benvolio? Benvolio. Am I getting my, my, I think so. my Romeo and Juliet correct? Like years ago, years ago, you studied this in literature school. The reason why Benvolio died was because he had to. The audience liked him and didn't give two shits about Romeo. Benvolio was the cool cousin. He was getting the chicks. He was the man. And then Romeo was just stuffy little guy that played by the rules. I love you. Will you love me? Give me a chance. They had to kill Benvolio because he was too popular. And that's the problem that you have with a lot of TV. You have your cast. That's great. And interesting, but if you accidentally cast that one person who's going to overshadow everyone, you end up fucking up your story. Oh, that's true. And and that's the issue that I have with Spock becoming a supporting cast. I don't mind if he's in two or three episodes. Look what they did with Sarek. Yeah. Sarek, I think he was used sparingly, what, four times throughout the entire season? Uh, probably Most likely three, because I don't really count the time that she's met him at Mirror Universe. Okay, so he was in three times or so. And then you have um, the Enterprise coming in now at the last minute. If they do something similar and kind of set the tone with Spock and 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 keep him involved in the story, but he's kind of in the back burner, but not front and center, I think that's smart. 
I think if they you run, dude, are you going to care about Spock or Burnham? Be honest. No, you you brought up a really good point. I mean, if if I if if I saw Spock on television, I'm gonna want to see more about Spock. That was the fanboy in you. That's the fanboy writing the story for next season. Yeah, that's what I do as well, and I have to like smack myself and say what actually makes sense. But but in defense of that, though, you have to say if they were to actually carry on Burnham's story about the child of two worlds, they have, to t- they have to touch on Spock. Yes. And I'm not saying they shouldn't because you're, you are right. You're on the right track, Dave. I agree with you. I feel like if they continue to explore the, the child of two worlds, what better way to parallel that with Spock, a child that we already know who was also part of two worlds. Why not see how it plays out? how each of their resolves are different. That's great. I can get behind that, but they have to be very careful with the focus and how much attention they actually give to Spock. So again, this begs the question, how will Burnham be handled moving into next season? And that to me is the biggest question mark more than anything. It is bigger than Christopher Pike and the enterprise making an appearance at the end. That's the biggest question because as a fan Yes, that was a great fan moment, seeing the Enterprise. I jizzed. I was excited. I, I, I giggled, I think, maybe. <laughs> I think I giggled. But then the, the writer in me took a hold and said, all right, the show's about discovery. We need to be very careful now. <laughs> you had to, you, you're, the writer's side of you had to actually put the fan yeah. down. Yes, I had to make myself limp dick in order to understand and, and truly be able to dissect this episode. I had to let the fanboyism go. And that and that's truly, truly, really hard. Especially when you no, it's limp. <laughs> especially, I, I'm with you. When I was watching the episode, and I was, I, I, the episode was okay for a finale. But when you got to that ending, and you saw the Enterprise just shoot right in, and then you hear Captain Pike over the radio, it's like, holy crap! This just got awesome. Yeah. But well, Dave, think about. It. Let me let me shoot an idea at you. Okay. Now, Giorgio could be that balance as well. And what I mean by the balance, I mean you have the ideology of Starfleet, right? And without Burnham backtracking on her progress, how do you create conflict? And how do you give us that rogue characters that we like in Star Trek so much? And this is where Terran Giorgio can come into play. We already know that she... She got away at the end. Yes. She was allowed to roam the galaxy, which I think is fucking dangerous. I don't know, I don't know what <laughs> I Starfleet was, like, was thinking. I was like trying to figure out what the hell were yeah. they thinking? A woman that can literally, that knows the mysteries of conquering the galaxy. And they're just like, yeah, mm-hmm. Go she, ahead. Yeah, go on. Have a nice day. <laughs> but I like that they did it. Because of what it could mean for next season. She has to come back, right, Dave? She has to. Oh, she has to. I mean, at, at this point, I almost think that Georgiou is going to turn into Burnham's con. If they, whoa, really? I think I think it's going to be kind of like that relationship. You think con it's going to be. And Kirk had that relationship. But you don't think it's going to be a good relationship. You think it's going to be kind of like antagonistic? I think it's going to be antagonistic because you got to remember, Georgiou wanted Burnham to join her. And Burnham turned it down. Yeah. Georgiou's character at this point doesn't like to be turned down on anything. Yeah, she doesn't. 
<laughs> yeah. Ask those three Orion people. I, I would join her. Shit. <laughs> Paint me green and slap my dick. So, I don't give <laughs> is this, Isn't that what she did? <laughs> green and slap my dick. <laughs> Honestly, though, Giorgio is pretty fucking hot. No, that's not what I was going to say. What I was going to say, Dave, let me, you always distract me, David, with your sexual jokes all the time. <laughs> I feel like I, I totally get what you're saying. And I think that could work as well. Like the con scenario. Yeah. But also what if she isn't the bad guy? What if she is a character that's in the gray area? Kind of like she was this, this week. What if she is that rogue? The bad, what if she's the ying to Burnham's yang? What if she is the true secondary cast member for second season and they play off on each other for whatever reason. They have to, I don't want to say team up. That sounds like it's Justice League, but they have to work together. That that could work. That could work as well. I mean, I think it would be an amazing way to tell a complicated story that involves a very intimate moment for Burnham dealing with this woman who, for all intents and purposes, is Giorgio. Just different ideology. It would be interesting to see how the echoes of fate play out. They keep bringing up that echoes of fate for That's the last the two or three I... seasons or last two or three episodes. And if they were to bring that into play and kind of steer Giorgio into some type of. Some type of mentor level, because we had it last year, we had Giorgio. We started the very opening season with this discussion, Dave, the trifecta of brilliance, Saru, Sarek, and Giorgio. Why does that have to change? Why should that change? Yeah, the, the if, trifecta of brilliance doesn't have to change. If that format worked, which it did, then why not continue it, but just alter it a little bit where Giorgio is now the balance to Starfleet ideology? I think it might be pretty cool. There's room for a lot of story there. I do too. I mean, it's the the possibilities of where they could go in Discovery second season is vast. We could come up with possibilities from starting right now till you know weeks, yeah. months from now. Yeah. The the thing is, is like ultimately we all are in agreement though that basically next season has to continue Burnham in some way. Yeah, and and I think that's. I think it's safe to say it is. I mean, the show is built around her, built on top of her, built under her. It's all about her. Yeah. So hopefully they they focus it up a bit because I think you and I both have the same complaints. It feels like the last three episodes or so kind of veered off in a in a direction that wasn't focused neatly like the opening half of the season was on Burnham. It felt like they were kind of going all over the place. I would say I would say the last two because like remember the third the the third episode, uh, the or the last mirror episode, honestly really felt like that should have been the finale. Right. The last the mirror episode the last mirror episode should have been the finale by all all respects and purposes of them getting back. Yeah. And that's why I was worried about these two episodes because I'm like going okay what are you what are you going to do the two episodes that's supposed to I guess wrap up the entire series when you could have wrapped it up right there yeah it's going to be interesting to see what happens man and I think it was also smart to keep Giorgio's feelings a bit ambiguous at the end yeah you know we're not quite sure where she stands and I'm fine with that I think that works for that type of character moving into second season 
Now, Saru and the rest of the crew, um, who will be the captain? I was hoping that Saru would have been captain. I really but, did hope that it would have been Saru because it would have been cool. And they, yeah, and they reiterated that he was just acting captain, which I was a little, a little, uh, not annoyed. I just, I was kind of hoping that we'd have our first alien captain. I think it's perfect scenario to have one. But that also leaves the question open as to who will be the captain, which type of casting are we, what type of casting are we going to see for second season captain for discovery? Yeah. Is it going to be a male? Is it going to be a female alien, black, white, heterosexual, cis male? What is it going to be, David? I, I really hope that basically. I hope it's a cis male Klingon. <laughs> it's cis male. I really hope that basically it's not as simple as oh, this the second season's going to be about Burnham becoming captain. I don't think she should be captain. Because I, yeah, I don't think she she's ready to be captain. And they first announced that Burnham would be the lieutenant, and that it would be the first show that's not focused on just the captain. And didn't we both like that idea? Yeah. Yeah, I think they, I, I I think they should idea. stick to that. Don't change it up. We don't need her to be captain. Also, again, been there, done that. We already know what uh, we've already seen, what, five, six different captains. Let's let's focus on this for a bit before we okay. move into the captain. Territory. Here's an idea. All right. Shoot I'm going to shoot, shoot you an idea. Okay. What if? Okay. There's always been talk that Jason Isaacs isn't done yet. What if the Lorca from this reality does show up? Hey guys, I'm back and I want to be captain. That's yeah. that's terrible. No. Nah. No, come on. What'd you write Do down you... the back of a matchbox? Come on, David. I, I thought about it because I'm a great, the fanboy in me for Jason Isaacs would be happy. Well, don't get me wrong. Well, yes, as a fan of Jason Isaacs, I'd be on board. But then I have to stop and think. I'm like, yes, that's shitty. Let me throw that away. But because because yes, I want I want Jason Isaacs to come back, but I don't think in the capacity of captain of the Discovery, it would work. It'd feel very contrived. It it would. Yeah. It's so hard to the the only one that I could see as captain is Saru because Saru has actually been honestly captain material for he, the last season. He has. He's grown a lot. It it's been a very subtle growth. That but, monologue, dude. That captain's monologue. Call it a captain's monologue if you want, but that that monologue he gave at the end of the mirror universe segment that's captain's material and that's why i'm like going at, at right then i'm like going saru's the captain screw this yeah he he deserves to be the captain i mean look at how the the season ended okay the season ended with obviously the way it's going to pick up with season 2 I don't think there's going to be a lot of room for time to pass so what if saru's the acting captain for the entire season that would work too yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of fans out there that would like to see Tilly actually get that, but that we, we she's know she's not ready. She's not ready yet. But in fact, by the end of the episode, we already know that she goes to Starfleet Academy. Yeah. Yeah. Tilly just needs to be available. So when I can um, talk to her and <laughs> also, her. also, the, her. also the shaved her. head, redhead chick, Jesus, where has she been my whole life? <laughs> All right. You know, we need to end this week's discussion and our discussion on Star Trek Discovery season one. But Dave, before we close out today's show, give me your final thoughts on this episode in a nutshell, and then your overall thoughts on the season. And then we're done in a nutshell. This, the the season finale felt really lukewarm and I was very surprised in the direction they went. Uh, The ending was absolutely made me fangasm all over the place. Uh, Overall, 
it's it, it wasn't a bad episode, but definitely left a lot on the table that I thought they could actually cover. And I understand that basically maybe they just didn't have time. Maybe it'd be going too far, just like what we've been alluding to. This whole show is kind of like the problem with Discovery is the possibilities where they could go are just so vast. You don't know which direction they're going to go. And uh, for the episode, I would give it a C plus. Jeez, uh, Dave, would you hate it? No, I didn't hate it. A I just C thought, plus. It's not. It's you're, not you're failing. Cause you're, level. It's because you're sexist. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> because I, was, I don't know. I love that scene with Georgia and the three Orion. That's sexist. If you like that scene, <laughs> that's sexist. No, no, because she was in charge of those three. Just, just because you like <laughs> the way women look doesn't mean you're not sexist. But uh, uh, the series as a whole, I absolutely think all Star Trek fans should actually pick up this series. If it comes out on Blu-ray as a collection, I am picking it up. Because it was absolutely fun covering this series. All right. All right. Good. C plus for this episode. And what do you give the season? Absolute A. Absolute A. How's that average out, Dave? C plus. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah. Well, you got to remember that all the other all the other episodes have been so strong. Okay. All right. I can get behind that. Okay. All right. So my thoughts are pretty similar to you as usual. You and I are seem to be on the same page throughout most of the year. This season has been a whirlwind of excitement. It's been great to see Star Trek back on the screen again uh, in a big way and with just beautiful imagery and poetic narratives that match the cinematography. Everything has just been perfect when it comes to launching this series again. However, I feel like the, the first season... The first quarter started off very strong, and then the show felt like it lost itself when they came back from break. And I don't quite know why that happened, but if you analyze the writing, it, it is looser. The narrative is not as tight. I don't know if they were trying to focus on those plots and those twists and reveals. I mean, but my own opinion, my own thoughts to the writers now, like, let's do away with, like, listen, I love plots, twists, okay? I love those M. Night moments, right? I think we all do. But let's not gear our entire show to mystery and intrigue. Just tell a good serialized story, and people are going to be enthralled with your story. You don't need to have edge of your seat plot twists. I know that's the new thing. Westworld seemed to have started the whole fan theory craze. Now every TV show now wants to have those plot twists. But but sometimes when you work on those plot twists, you focus more time on on distraction and hey, don't figure out what we're doing rather than focusing on a on a tight story. Yeah. And the first half was about building that distraction about building Burnham and then the reveal in the second half. And then after that, the show just felt loose. It just, it didn't feel as tight. Like it was as focused. Um, so I give the season a B and I give this season finale a C plus as well, Dave. And because the season finale just felt a little flat. It was very simple ending. Yes. I, I mean, those writers are smart in the Star Trek room. They played it. They played it smart. They played it easy. Right. And and that's why I'm griping about it. If this was the CW and, and they and a bunch of CW hack writers, then I'd be like, hey, minus Supernatural. Love the Supernatural writers. But <laughs> I, I'm just saying. And then I'm like, hey, well, I didn't expect much from them anyways. I mean, Aaron Harberts and Gretchen Berg are just great writers. 
they're really good at what they do. And they kind of, they kind of just ended it. It was just like, all right, Klingons, uh, they lost the war. You're telling me that an entire armada of Klingon ships are flying towards Earth and a, 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 a nobody Klingon woman is going to tell them what to do. She's going to unite the Klingon house when Dakuvma couldn't even, Dakuvma yes. couldn't even unite them and sell them on the idea. But you have Laurel, this lowly woman who's proven she has not proven herself really amongst the Klingons and she's going to hold a bomb up and hold the Klingons captive until they allow her to rule that felt like a very cheap way to end the entire war that was kind of the backbone of the drama the drama aspect of the first season it felt weird it felt very simplistic and kind of like well guys how do we end this well let's just uh, have her hold a bomb up Hostage scenario. Very cheap. And I'm a little disappointed. It's a just kind of a weird way to end the season, don't you think? Yeah, it is. It is. And I feel like they knew it. That's why they, right when you're feeling bummed, you're like, well, that was kind of anticlimactic. Then that's when they have the Enterprise fly in at the last second. Because <laughs> it, it, you throw out your, your, your issues for fangasm moments where you're like oh shit pike spock the enterprise holy shit why else do you think we had that at the moment at the last moment yeah to calm the waters to calm people down for being upset about the anticlimactic ending which it was yeah so on that note, I want to thank everybody for listening to our discussions and breakdowns. I know we've we've garnered a lot of new listeners throughout the last three or four months. A lot of Star Trek fans have, have really um, been drawn to our show, and I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank you, David. Thank you. And we'll see you all next time. And live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.